Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for the opportunity to be here and to worship you together. And Lord, I pray, as you have hopefully already done in our hearts and lives this day, that you would speak into our hearts, lives, and minds, that we would hear what we need to hear today, and that my words would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is a, a fascinating uh, gospel lesson, a fascinating story in the gospels, and, and I really kind of enjoyed thinking about it and reading it, and, and like I've said several times before, the scripture is so alive that you can read passages over and over again and catch something new as, as maybe you missed it or your life circumstances have changed or the Holy Spirit is speaking in a different way. And in fact, even as I was reading the passage to you all, I caught something that I had never noticed before. And that's what I love about the scripture. Now this miracle, this story, actually only appears in the Gospel of Luke. As you may or may not know, several stories, several miracles may appear in one, two, three, or even all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This one appears only in Luke, which is very, very interesting. And somebody once asked me, well, why have the same story two or three or four times? And it's really all about perspective. You see, each of these Gospel writers writes from what they experienced or saw or heard from their own perspective. And if you read the same story a couple times, you will notice the perspective coming out. Luke is a doctor. And so he writes from the perspective of a doctor. He is so interested in talking about the details of the miracles, the medical aspects of everything, that he points this out several times. And so we know from this story that this woman was crippled for 18 years, that she was stuck, bent over. We don't know if she was 18 and had been that way her whole life, or if she was older and had only been the past 18 years. We don't know why, but that's what we know. What scholars probably guess, based on the time and the ailments of the time, was that she probably had a fused spine. And so we have this woman, and I want to point out to you, if you have your Bible, you're certainly welcome to open it. If not, you can certainly grab your insert. You'll notice that my translation is slightly different, and we'll uh, begin experiencing a difference in that next week. But I want to start at verse 12. In the very first part of verse 12, and I mentioned this in children's time, it starts with, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. You see, what's important to understand is this notion that Jesus noticed this woman in the distance. In many of the miracles, if not most of the miracles, it is the people coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus, asking for healing, you know, friends digging a hole in the roof and lowering the friend down. This is a little bit different, a little bit unique. As Jesus is teaching in the church, he notices this woman in the back and he invites her forward. Jesus initiates in her healing. That's the important part of this beginning part of the verse, that Jesus initiates in this woman's healing. And he does so on the Sabbath. Kind of causes a little bit of trouble, as you heard in the reading, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But he initiates in this woman's healing. And I want us to understand and to realize that Jesus so often initiates in our own healing as well. So much so that I think oftentimes we don't even notice it. 
And not just our physical healing, but our emotional healing, our spiritual healing as well. That Jesus cares so deeply about us that he initiates with us. And in this case, he took quite a tongue lashing for it. And then he said to her again, verse 12, the end of it, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Set free. You see, healing with Jesus is a little different than we understand it. Of course, we have modern medicine, and we forget to realize that modern medicine itself is a miracle, and so we miss those miracles. But you see, Jesus is not just interested in this woman's physical healing. The scripture says that, you know, she was... She was struggling with an evil spirit. He was interested also in her spiritual healing as well, to heal her soul, to draw her closer to God. Perhaps that's why he initiated with her in the crowd. But he's also interested in her emotional healing, all of the hurt and pain that she must have experienced and must have felt, living this way and just, not even living this way, but just the natural reality of life, is it not? that we experience emotional hurts and ups and downs as we experience different things in life and in relationship. And so Jesus, when he sets her free, understand that he's setting her free from her emotional pain as well, but also her social pain. All of the stigma of perhaps walking around like this for 18 years, she was likely known in the community by most that were in the crowd. And so she probably experienced a lot of rejection, a lot of isolation. You know, in our culture, we don't do this that much. We still do it, even though we're not willing to admit it. But someone with this disability, someone with this struggle, was probably isolated and rejected. People were afraid to be around her to touch her. And in that culture, what the people believed was, if you had an ailment of this kind, surely you or your parents or someone in your family had sinned greatly. And so this woman probably received a lot of rejection as people perhaps gossiped and talked about her sin and the stuff in her life. And Jesus wanted to heal her from all of that. And the actual kind of healing that Jesus wanted to do in this woman, again, it's not just simple healing. It's not even just simply being set free. It's being released. That Jesus wanted to release this woman from all of her pain, her physical pain, her emotional pain, her spiritual pain, all of the social pain that she experienced. He wanted her to be released, not just healed so she could go on with a normal life, but released from all of that, the present and the past, so that she could live a new and glorious life in the future. This woman's story is my story. This woman's story is our story. Because you see, whatever it might be, whether physical or spiritual or social or emotional or all of the above, Jesus desires to release us from our pain. Not just pat us on the back or pat us on the head and say, it's okay, but to release us from the pain. And of course, I mentioned in children's time, in verse 13, then he put her hands on her. I want you to notice this. Jesus does this a couple times in the healings, and you'll hear me talk about it every time I talk about one of these. 
Jesus puts his hands on her to heal her. Now understand that Jesus could have waved his hand, could have breathed, could have said something, could have done anything and healed this woman. He did not need to touch her. He is Jesus, God's son, God in the flesh. But he reaches out and touches this woman. This woman who's probably not experienced or even felt human touch in maybe 18 years or so. If any, certainly not much. You see, because Jesus doesn't just want to make it better. He wants to invite us into a relationship with him. And so he reaches out and he touches this woman. Imagine. Little to no human touch for 18 years. And so, so much more was happening in this moment than a woman who couldn't walk straight being able to walk straight, as if that were a small thing in of itself. And it says, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And you know, it's an obvious response, right? 18 years, you can't walk, you're facing all sorts of rejection, there are so many things you can't do, of course you stand up and praise God. But this is the part of the passage that really got to me this week because I started to realize something. I asked myself, why is that in there? It's obvious, right? Why is that in there? And, you know, I don't know for sure, but I kind of started to have a little bit of suspicion of one of the reasons. That perhaps it's in there because when the miracles come to us, when Jesus heals us, releases us, we don't always stand up and praise God. In fact, I see miracles every day. Little ones, medium ones, big ones. And we don't realize they're miracles because we've come comfortable with our technology and our resource and modern science and modern medicine. We've become comfortable with how trees and plants grow and how things live and breathe, that we don't notice all of the miracles that are around us. And so for all the miracles that are around us, I don't see a lot of celebrating, a lot of joining in thankfulness in my own life or in the believers or anyone around me. And yet, when something doesn't go right, when, our, when we don't experience healing, as we wait for healing, we are certainly, I think, pretty quick to blame God. And I think we do it in two different ways. One, we outright blame God. God is doing this to me. God is allowing this to happen to me. God caused this. But then we do it in the roundabout way. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to challenge our all our thinking on this, but we, we have nice little phrases for our own suffering and for other people's suffering. Well, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Okay, if that's true, then God and I have a very different idea of what I can handle. Right? Amen? You know, God is just testing your faith. God is doing this. God is doing that. They're nice cliches. Ironically enough, not necessarily very helpful in the moment. But they're also not really very theologically or biblically accurate. And worse than that, if, if I'm honest, if we're honest, it kind of puts the blame right back on God, just in a nice little Christian, passive-aggressive kind of way. You know, God is doing this. God is allowing this. God is testing me. And so this woman understood perhaps what the Church of Jesus Christ today doesn't understand very well. This notion of celebration in the midst of everything. And so I wonder if maybe that's one of the reasons that that little line that seemed so unnecessary is in the story. That perhaps my posture towards 
the good things and the bad things needs to change some. That perhaps we and I need a posture of celebration a little more. Now, it's interesting what happens in this story because we go on in verse 14. And the first word there is indignant. And it doesn't appear much in the Bible. Jesus uses it once or twice. And it's the strongest positive, possible negative emotion in all of Scripture. It's beyond frustration or anger or concern. It's all of the above and then some. It's the most, it's the most powerful word that we have in the original language for a negative emotion. That the religious people, the Pharisees, all those were here, were indignant that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. They were disgusted. They were disgusted because Jesus had broken the rules. That their understanding of Scripture and how they interpreted it and how they applied it and the list of rules that they had created for living their lives as good religious people. Jesus had come in and broken those rules. How dare he? The good news is, is that we don't have this problem in the church anymore. We never have our own kind of set of rules or ideas or things that we kind of put on God or say of God and get disgusted and disturbed when those are trampled accidentally or purposefully. And here's the irony. Jesus gives us some notion of a response to that in this passage. You see, Jesus wouldn't last as a pastor or staff member in any church in this country for more than five minutes. And we'll get to that in a second. And so, you know, they're complaining. Verse 14 again. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? Come back a different day. Why can't you wait till tomorrow? I mean, after all, you've had this for 18 years, right? I mean, do we hear how ridiculous that mindset sounds? The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Jesus does not mince words here, calling out their hypocrisy. That in our own moments and in this moments with the good religious people, when we put the rules above people, when we put our ideas and our concepts above relationship, when we focus on the little things instead of what God is doing and how the Holy Spirit is moving, Jesus comes and says, Watch your hypocrisy. You hypocrites, don't you each on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey? It's a bit ironic, I think, that he uses a reference of a donkey in this passage. Perhaps Jesus was trying to upset and challenge people a little more, but I can't get into that too much in church. And goes on to say, shouldn't this woman who's been bound for 18 years experience healing? You see, Jesus is trying to point out in this moment that relationship matters more than rules, that people, we should care deeply about people above all else. Jesus had this uncanny ability, one of my favorite characteristics of Jesus, this uncanny ability to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Jesus always always was comforting those with affliction and afflicting those, which oftentimes were the religious folks, the most comfortable. In fact, I, I'll be honest, it's one of the qualities of Christ that my personality can most easily emulate. 
And in, in some of my best moments in life and in ministry have been in those moments where I've had the opportunity to comfort those who were afflicted, but also perhaps afflict those who are comfortable. It's also the thing in the church that gets me in the most trouble. Not so much that first part, but probably that second part a little bit. Part of being released is Jesus wants to comfort our affliction, but also afflict the comfort in our lives that keep us from him. Those comforts that keep us from focusing on God, those comforts that keep us from worshiping God, those comforts that perhaps maybe tell us, I can do this on my own and I don't need God. Those comforts that make it easy for us to live and ignore God except for in time of crisis. And Jesus comes to the people, comes to the church, and he comforts those afflictions. But then he afflicts those comforts in us. And I'll be honest, I love it when Jesus comforts my afflictions. I love it. The other part, I don't get real excited about. Does anybody? But that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Jesus wants to do in his church. He wants his people to be open and trusting that, they, that this God can comfort their afflictions, that there's miracles happening all around them. But he also wants his people to be open to having those things that are their comforts afflicted and challenged in our lives. And so then we have the final verse of the reading, verse 17. I find this fascinating. When he said all this, his opponents were humiliated and the people were delighted. So you have two groups. You have the irreligious, common folk, don't know or care about God people, okay, the crowd. And then you have the good religious folks that, you know, never miss church unless their favorite football team is on. And, uh, and, and they're, they're here. And when they look at this story... These folks are humiliated and frustrated and still don't get it. God has done a miracle. And they just don't know what to do with it. And they end up embarrassed, and perhaps even in embarrassment. And then these folks over here that don't get it understand and are thankful and are celebrating and are praising God for what has just happened. And ironically and sadly enough, I think this happens in our culture more than we're willing to admit that those outside of the church get what Jesus is doing sometimes a lot more than those inside of the church. And I think that's more than a shame, you see, because what happens is then everyone else kind of looks to these people to point them to Jesus, but these people don't know Jesus. And the very people, us, who know Christ and have an understanding of who Jesus is and have a framework that can help people that don't end up missing out on an opportunity for ministry missing out on an opportunity to point somebody to Jesus. You see, because all this comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable stuff is not just for fun. Although I'm, I want to believe that Jesus enjoyed kind of upsetting people a little bit. That's what I tell myself. There was a purpose. In both cases, with both groups, in comforting the affliction and afflicting the comfortable, it's all about pointing people to God. That's what Jesus was always doing pointing people to the Father over and over and over again. That's what Jesus was here for. Pointing people to the Father. And I think perhaps if churches are to be the church, 
we might want to think about this a little bit. Because there's more to this story than a simple woman being able to walk when she couldn't walk. There's always more here. Jesus has come to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. What affliction in my life, what affliction in your lives, whether physical, spiritual, emotional, or all of the above, needs comforting, needs the healing of Jesus? And what of those comforts in my life and our lives need to be challenged by the God of the universe, need to be shaken, need to be afflicted so that we can focus on that what matters, Jesus, his kingdom, and people, instead of all the other little stuff. What are those comforts in your life, in my life, that keep me from relying on God, from focusing on God, from worshiping God, that need affliction? And that's one of the things I love the most about Jesus, is he never gives up on us. In all those places where we need more of God, he comes to heal and to challenge. And that is a gift. What needs comforting? What needs afflicting? So that you and I in the church of Jesus Christ can be more like this Jesus who came to earth to show us who God really is. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word and the way in which it can challenge us. Give us open hearts and open minds to see and hear the things that we need to see and hear, to seek you for comfort, and Lord, to be open to being afflicted in some of our own areas of comfort. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.